Well hello and welcome to Passing the Baton number 17 and this one is entitled Knowing God's Ways. It's actually going to be recorded on the 30th of August 2008. And I want to start by acknowledging Graham Cook's brilliant teaching entitled Crisis to Process and also Cycles of Intimacy which I was privileged to hear some 10 years ago. Those of you who know me know that Graham without his knowledge is my mentor. I've sat under his ministry now for more than 12 years and put into practice most of his teachings. So what follows is my life's message, formed from the teaching which I received and went over time and time again. It's become flesh on me as I've lived it out. I recommend it. I also want to give credit to the late Roger D.G. Price, from whom I first heard teaching on the ages and stages of Christian growth. My thanks to you both guys. I have reason to believe that Graham sat under Roger's ministry too. So here we go. God's goal for us is maturity and the journey he takes us on is called process. It's no use accumulating books full of notes, covers full of tapes and CDs. This revelatory truth has to be put into practice for it to bring change and power into your life. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are my ways your ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. God doesn't think like us. Pretty obvious statement, but how many of us actually do think deep down that he thinks the same way as we do and agrees with our point of view? Psalm 50 verse 21 says, You thought I was altogether like you. Dream on. God's goal for us is maturity, maturity, maturity. The journey he takes us on to accomplish this is called process. Process is a series of steps to take us from one place to another. Process is our journey of development from a child to a mature adult, from Abba, Daddy, to Father, and the steps we take from one level to another in the Spirit. Notice please I didn't just say from a child to an adult, there are many immature adults around, children in the body of an adult, technions. I'll explain that later. What God is looking for is maturity and mature sons, huios, mature adult Christians to whom he can entrust the secrets of the kingdom, to whom he can safely delegate responsibility and his power because they have his heart and know his ways. They've stood the test and been proven to be trustworthy in their daily lives through manifold difficulties and trials. He'll not bestow his power on babes, even if they have been on the road 25 years and think it's time they gave up their tricycle and started with the Lamborghini. As Graham says, God is the architect of your faith, but you have to give him planning permission. When the opportunity of a lifetime presents itself, we have to make sure that we act within the lifetime of that opportunity. I believe that God is holding out to you today, those of you who are listening to this CD now, the opportunity to go on in your relationship with him, which means you have to act within the lifetime of the opportunity. 
It has a given season for you to respond. In these days of acceleration, God is looking for those who will receive that acceleration in their relationship with him and run. The requirement for this is that you live in present future, not in present past. This is going to mean some quality decisions and determination from you. You are responsible for your spirituality. God is the architect of what he's planning in you, but you have to give him that planning permission. It's one thing for you to trust God, and a completely different thing for him to trust you. Friendship with God is earned by faithfulness of service. You are my friends if... Sonship is bestowed upon you by the Father when he says you are ready and not before. Once you are born again you are a child of God. It is at that point you start your journey. The rebirth is but the first step. There remains much ground to be taken. We go from a child of God to a servant of God to a friend of God and finally to a love slave of God. That's the cycle he takes us through. This all may be a new concept to you. If it is, relax, sit back, enjoy what is about to unfold for you. This could be your opportunity of a lifetime. If you haven't heard it before, don't fret about why you haven't heard it. Just be thankful to God you are hearing it now and being given the opportunity to respond. Nepios to huios the growth process. Those two words are Greek and I'll be using them quite a lot. The first thing we need to understand is that God is a family man. He loves family, he created it, and like any good father he wants his children to grow up and become responsible adults, as I said before. Ours is the only religion where we're able to call God Father. He desires an intimate father-child relationship with us and his goal for us is to conform us into the likeness of Jesus so we become sons of God. But as many as received him to them gave he the power to become the sons of God to those who believe in his name. That is 1 John, sorry, John 1:12. And it's the King James Version. Most versions say the right to become children or child of God, but I prefer the old King James Version. He says it like it is. God gives us the power as his children to become sons. Progressive process. He is bringing many sons to glory. Romans 8.19 tells us that the whole creation groans, waiting for the manifestation of children, no, sons of God. So we're all children, but we're not all sons, but we are on our way. There are at least four stages we can determine from the scripture. The Greek word for a little child, one who's still a babe in arms, an infant, is nepios, N-E-P-I-O-S, literally without the power of speech. It's used of infants and of those who are carnal and haven't grown as they should have done in spiritual understanding and power. The spiritually immature. 1 Corinthians 3, 1, Paul says to the Corinthian church, Brothers, I could not address you as spiritual, <coughs> excuse me, but as worldly, mere infants in Christ. 
That's the word nepios. Those who are, so to speak, partakers of milk and without experience in the word of righteousness. This word is always used to describe believers in an immature condition. Babes, all noise at one end and smell at the other with a smile in between, as Graham Cook would say. They live in their own mess and constantly need someone to clear up after them. If they make enough noise, someone will come and help them, feed them, clear up their mess. This is fine during the first few weeks and months, even sometimes years as a Christian. But if I find that I'm still having to clear up after you poured your porridge on your head and change your nappies when you're 40, I'll have to deal with you. So, nepios, babes. When we're dealing with a babe in Christ, a new believer, it's important that we make sure we develop their dependency on God and not on us. They will depend on us at first, but this must quickly be turned into a dependency on God and a relationship with Him. Teaching them to walk with Him and hear Him are imperatives for those discipling or in leadership of any kind. Because if a Christian stays at this stage, you will have a 40-year-old who is dependent on you or other people for everything, which is very unhealthy for you and for them. The next stage of growth in the scriptures is the technion stage, T-E-K-N-I-O-N. Technion is the plural, little child, little children, and it's used figuratively in the New Testament and always in the plural. It's a term of affection by a teacher to his disciples under circumstances requiring a tender appeal, says Vine's Expository Dictionary of New Testament Words. At this stage the children are weaned. They're beginning to take solids and chew their food. The process of individuation is beginning. They are no longer part of you, but are seeing themselves as individuals before God. Healthy growth is taking place. The downside at this age is that their discernment is not developed, just like young children, and all they want is what tastes good, feels good, looks good, and sometimes any old thing will go in. They are consumed with how they feel, and their whole relationship with God is emotional. If they can't feel him, they don't think he's there. Feelings and emotions are the evidence for everything at this stage. You'll find them constantly going to meetings, events and conferences because they want something to happen that is outside them. They're waiting for the Holy Spirit or an impartation to drop on them like a cow pat from above. This is fine if they don't stay there, but an awful lot of charismatics in renewal have stayed there, doing the rounds of the conferences and getting an impartation at every one never realising that they've lost whatever they thought they had before they get out of the building, because what they're looking for is actually a quick fix. They're not prepared to put the work in, and they're missing God's best for their lives. They're looking to make it to the next level in God, painlessly and with no effort on their part. They don't understand process, and they don't want it. As a consequence, they actually stay in that place of childishness, always looking for the sweet stuff and never eating their sprouts, never growing and never proving themselves able to be trusted. Silly children. 
Technions don't understand that everything God does is through a process with them. Process is a series of steps that takes you from where you are to where God wants you to be. And God will not do anything outside of that. He will never allow a conference, a meeting or an event, no matter how anointed the speakers are, to take the place of your walk with him. He will never allow idolatry of persons to take the place of a relationship with him. If you find you have a tendency to follow the latest Christian celebrity or fad, check it, check it out. That person doesn't want to be in the place of God to you. You're supposed to be following Christ, not them. You are placing them where they shouldn't be and God will have to remove them or deal with you. Sometimes I wonder how much the body of Christ has been the downfall of leaders because of the idolatry of their person which they couldn't handle and didn't want. Beloved, we are responsible in this area. If this is speaking to you, you need to examine yourself and repent. Change your mind. Change your focus. Largely, technions won't have this. They're out for the shortcut, the quick way. They spend their time avoiding the process to which God wants to commit them. They're stuck in that place of childishness, wanting to avoid pain, wanting to avoid the work, wanting to avoid the process, wanting to avoid God. And they condemn themselves to their own immaturity. They pout, they shout, they rant, they turn their back to try to get him to change his mind. All they are proving is their immaturity. They become, if you like, dedicated to remaining childish, never achieving the childlike trust and rest in him that is his goal for them. Impartation is no substitute for process. God enjoys the journey. He desires it, whether we desire it or not. And as he is God and you aren't, guess who gets to win on this one? Paul says, we work out our salvation with fear and tremblings. Philippians 2.12 For work out, read walk out. This is a daily walk, step by step with him. This means we have to do the whole thing his way with him. The next stage is the Padion, P-A-I-D-I-O-N, the adolescent spotty teenager. All hormones, moods and knowledge. It's used metaphorically of believers who are deficient again in spiritual understanding. 1 Corinthians 14.20 Brothers, stop thinking like children. Padion. And Jesus used it in affectionate and familiar terms to his disciples, almost like we would say lads. John refers to them as the youngest believers in the family of God in 1 John 2, 13 and 18. These know the stuff, in fact they know it all, but they haven't put the time in. Again, they haven't paid their dues, as it were. They've gone up and down the supermarket aisles, putting in all the lovely gifts in their trolley, but when it comes to the checkout, they don't want to pay the man. They're all gift and very little character. They haven't sorted their flesh out from their spirit and they live their lives largely subject to their own carnality. 
Sometimes, because of their gifting and their inability or unwillingness to be corrected, nobody dares to address the issues in their lives, and as a result, they never grow beyond the spotty adolescent stage. This is as true of leadership as it is of the congregation. Beloved true love corrects. It doesn't back down from the difficulty of facing bad behaviour and encouraging people to grow. There are people in leadership right now who would benefit from being faced with their behaviour so they could understand about process and move on in God to become huios. Huios, H-U-I-O-S. Now these are the sons who have stood the test. Jesus uses the word huios in a very significant way as in Matthew 5.9 where he says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. The word here is huios, fully mature sons. They have followed the injunction to love your enemies and pray for them that persecute you, that you may be or become sons of your Father which is in heaven. The disciples were to do these things, not in order that they might become children of God, but that being children they might make manifest the fact in their character and they might become sons. The difference between believers as children of God and sons of God is brought out in Romans 8, 14-21. The Spirit bears witness with their spirit that they are children of God, and as such they are heirs and joint heirs with Christ. This stresses the fact of their spiritual birth. On the other hand, as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God, i.e. these and no other. Their conduct gives evidence of the dignity of their relationship with Jesus and their likeness to his character. These are the people who have endured and embraced both the cross and the process. The privation, hardship, difficulties, humiliations, rejections and pain of growing up in God. They have not avoided the cross, they've embraced it. They've allowed the stripping that is, necessar is a necessary part of sonship. Nothing holds them and they hold on to nothing. God can pass the riches of his grace and provision through them, knowing they will not keep anything for themselves. Channels only, blessed Master, as the old hymn puts it. These are sons who have understood the ways of God and have cooperated fully with his process in their lives. If you ask them, they would say they wouldn't change anything because of what they have experienced has resulted in such treasure a relationship with the Lord they could not have imagined before, and they would have it no other way. They understand his ways, they know his presence, they understand his process with them, they know his comfort in sorrow and distress, and they do not resent or hide from his dealings with them. They've paid the price. Like Enoch and Noah, they walk with God in the high places of his trust and affection. This is our goal then, to become well-beloved sons of the living God, whom he can trust with the riches of the kingdom. In the ancient world, when a son reached this stage, there was what was known as the adoption ceremony. 
and it's not the way that we think of adoption in the West. When a Roman child was young, his father made sure that he had the best education available and very firm discipline. Often cultured Greek captives would be put in charge of the teenage boys and the children learned much from them that Greece had to teach. Those who excelled and impressed their families and tutors with their responsible, self-controlled, mature behaviour were chosen to go through the adoption ceremony. They were taken to the forum, introduced to the people, and then the father read a proclamation to the effect that he was delighted with his boy and from now on counted him as a huios. Then the father gave his son a long robe called a toga virilis, which he would wear from that time on to signify his new status. He immediately received part of his inheritance. The rest came later. He was allowed to manage his own affairs and he could speak on behalf of his father. <coughs> Excuse me. Sonship. Adoption. Jesus' adoption ceremony, which everyone watching would have understood because they were at that time under Roman occupation, was when he came up out of the waters of baptism. The Holy Spirit alighted upon him, his toga virilis, and the Father testified to the world that he was delighted with him and henceforth considered him to be a mature son, huios. You can see this fulfilled the ceremony of adoption the rite of passage for Jesus to begin his ministry. The Father's declaration and clothing from on high with the Holy Spirit was soon followed by a public demonstration of his new authority. He gave up his carpentry and spent the remaining three and a half years preaching the good news of the kingdom and healing those who needed healing. Jesus spoke of his ministry in a very specific way in terms of his adoption in John 5, verse 43, uh, New International Version. I have come in my Father's name. Mature sons are those who have given up the right to do what they want and have determined to do God's will. Those who completely yielded their wills to him are the sons. Understanding the ways of God. No matter how long or how short a time you've been on the road as a Christian, you will have discovered that God doesn't think the same way as we do or do the same things as we the way we do. He doesn't answer prayer the way we think he should sometimes? asked Jonah. His standards and value system are completely different and his ways of doing things are certainly not the way we would do them. History shows us. So we have to settle it. He's God. He's in charge. He will do whatever he pleases. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom is from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the world are reputed as nothing. He does according to his will in the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of earth. No one can restrain his hand or say to him, What have you done? That's Daniel 4, 34 and 35. This great God of ours will thrust us into circumstances and situations that we cannot understand and over which we have no control with simply the words, Nevertheless, I'll be with you. He'll call you to do a work for him that only he can accomplish and you will have to adjust your life to him in order that he can accomplish his plan. 
Our part in this day is to hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches and respond accordingly. Every church is made up of individuals. We cannot hide behind the corporate any longer. We must respond to God and his wooing as individuals. Then corporately his will for this earth will be worked out through us in these days. This will require us to listen, repent, which is change our minds, and respond to him. When we hear his call and respond appropriately, there'll be no limit to what God can and will do through us, his people. He's looking to call us into bridal partnership with him. Will you be wooed and won this day? Will you follow him regardless of how impossible it may seem? If you will, you'll experience God's mighty power working through you. God is, as I've already said, a family man. Family is his idea. And when you have children, your goal for them is that they grow into responsible adults. So that's his stated purpose, to conform us to the image of our brother, Jesus. God works to principles. He's agricultural. This means he measures growth, not time. When you've produced a good crop of fruit, he will prune you in order to obtain an even bigger crop, good husbandry. He works in cycles and seasons in your life. Your life will ebb and flow like the tides with his dealings with you. Walking with him has a rhythm to it. He will take you from the training ground, which is this, to the proving ground where you prove out what you've learnt to the battleground. Ages and stages of growth. So what does the process of our development look like? The fruit of the Spirit grows in bad soil. You need someone to be unkind to you so that you can show forth the fruit of kindness, moving in the opposite attitude or spirit to that which is coming towards you. When someone is rude, you have the opportunity to be sweet to them, not to return evil with evil. You have the opportunity to absorb their failure. Regarding faith, we need a problem for faith to grow. Faith won't grow without a problem, and neither will we. So we need problems, and God will make sure we get them. This is just one way in which his thinking doesn't line up with ours. So if you find yourself up to your neck in problems right now, know that you are having an excellent opportunity to enlarge your faith. Psalm 4 verse 1 in the King James Version says, Thou hast enlarged me while I was in distress. The only place we get the enlargement. You actually need difficulties so that you can overcome them. You cannot be an overcomer without something to overcome. Pretty obvious, really. But it's not what we want to hear. We want life to be simple and we want our comfort, at least I do, and we do not like having to be stretched and tested. It's painful. But God is in the business of producing sons in the image of Jesus. He states it in his word. Romans 8:29. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. New King James Version. As we grow in the Christian walk, his expectation is that we will grow in loving and trusting him 
and circumstances and situations are there to cause us to turn to him, not run from him. In our summer school we looked at three men, Jacob who wrestled with God, Jonah who ran from God and Noah whose name means rest. I wonder which one you are. Wrestling, running or resting? You get to choose. Let me tell you, if you're doing either of the first two, you're just silly. Everything in your life is useful. God allows it all. Everything is necessary for strengthening, for relationship, for identity, for destiny. The first rule of maturity is that we learn to respond, not react, to the circumstances in which we find ourselves. We get to become thermostats, not thermometers. Thermostats keep the temperature even. Thermometers, just in case you didn't know, register the heat. They go up and down. Everything but everything in our lives is ultimately for our profit. It may not feel good or seem good. We may be full of the why question, which incidentally never gets answered. But it's all there for our growth and profit. We better get used to it. God's ways are not ours. We're yelling out for deliverance from a situation and he says, I've just spent a lot of time and money getting you into that. I'm not going to deliver you. This is a keeper. That's something else about God. In the situation we're in, he will either be our keeper or our deliverer. Graham Cook has a book on this called The Keeping Power of God. It's brilliant stuff and I highly recommend it. I recommend anything by Graham. As finite beings, we normally think in straight lines. We are consecutive in our movements. We follow a logical or chronological sequence. For example, we start and finish a book, begin and end each day at work. We look forward to an event and then back on it. We measure our progress by time and production. Do I have enough time to accomplish this? What do I have to do to fit in a break? We work to deadlines, fixed points and we're goal orientated. If we're creative, we move through the various stages to create what's in our heart. We start and finish a picture or start and finish writing a book. When we travel, we move from one place to another from a point of departure, focusing on the time of arrival. Our journey is linear. We work in straight lines. God is not like this. God is circular. Everything starts with him and ends with him. Romans 12.36 For of him and through him and to him are all things, to whom be the glory for ever. Amen. It all begins and ends with him. Everything proceeds from him, goes through you and back to him. When we love him, we love him with the love with which he first loved us. It takes God to love God. We cannot love him from our fallen nature. It is his love descending to us and ascending back from us to him. Love is a circle. God's always doing lots of things at once. There's never just one thing going on with God. He's an economist. He may be dealing with something in you, but he's also doing something in everyone else around you at the same time. It's brilliant. He is simultaneous and he is spontaneous. 
You always know where you are with God, you just never know what he's going to do next. There's no beginning with God and no end with God, because he's the Alpha and the Omega. He is the beginning and the end and everything in between. Do I not fill heavens and the earth, says the Lord? Jeremiah 23:24. Everything begins and ends in him. When God begins something in your life, it has a beginning in God and it will only be accomplished when it ends up in God, not when it ends up in your ministry. He exists outside of time and his purpose is accomplished as soon as it is conceived. He sees the end from the beginning and he sees you now as you will be on that day. When he speaks a word of prophecy over you, he is standing in the place of its fulfilment. Everything is real the moment God speaks it. A word from him and it's real. The moment he speaks into your life it's a done deal. You may not see it for 50 years in a time-space context but to him it's already done and he stands in that place of the accomplishment of his purpose and calls you to live there. To become what he has said you are. To stand in the spirit where he is standing. This means if you have the promise you have the reality. If you have a prophetic word, you have the potential for the fulfillment. There is only one thing God requires from you, cooperation. With that, he will accomplish everything. Without your active, willing cooperation, you may never see the fulfillment of your prophetic word. Fulfillment of prophecy is not automatic. It depends on our responses to him at every stage. He's no production scheduled to meet though. He can outweigh you. He's not trapped in time like us. But comes the time to respond when the time to respond expires and we cannot retrieve the situation. You'll remember when I started I spoke about acting within the lifetime of what God was holding out to us. Beloved, it is so important that we live in the now of God, not in yesterday, not in tomorrow, but in the I am, being present with God and looking to the future in God. As finite, limited beings, we can't interact with an infinite, unlimited being without significant help, so he has graciously given us his Holy Spirit. We have to be instructed by the Holy Spirit on how to work with what God is doing, and part of that instruction is to teach us how God thinks and how God works. He loves to teach us about Jesus and about the Father. That's his job. That's why he indwells us, as well as our teacher, our personal trainer, with us 24-7, the Spirit of Jesus. If we try to get into God's presence without the Holy Spirit's leading, we come into striving and performance. He initiates, we respond. We have to learn to flow with him. We are built to respond to him, not to initiate. The bride responds to the overtures of the bridegroom. We were created to respond to him. God delights in initiating things in us. He loves making the first move on you every day. He loves those first few moments when you meet with him. Don't come to him with a shopping list. Come to receive his goodness and greatness. Let him fill you with himself in order that you can respond to him. 
Intimacy draws us into the very presence of God and brings us into contact with his holiness and his majesty. That makes us vulnerable. When you come into the presence, whatever is not given over suddenly surfaces and you feel incredibly weak, exposed, vulnerable. The fig leaves are torn off and all is revealed. Some of us won't get into the presence because we're nervous to lose our fig leaves. Like Adam, we're afraid and have hidden ourselves, or worse, we've sewn fig leaves together to hide ourselves, little realising that he knows exactly what's underneath. And he is neither upset nor shocked. He simply wants you with him, warts and all. He loves us, complete with smelly feet, as I once heard someone say. The Rhythms of God We need to be instructed by the Holy Spirit how to move with the rhythms of God. He teaches us how God thinks and works. My ways are not your ways. God says you and I are incompatible and I don't change. And if the Holy Spirit treads on your toes, move your feet. God doesn't always move at the same pace. Sometimes he does quick steps, sometimes slow steps. Life in the spirit is very like having the most perfect dancing partner, moving gracefully together with him leading. Any of you have ever enjoyed ballroom dancing, you'll know that even if you're no dancer, if you partner with a man who can dance, you become a dancer too. It's brilliant. Life in the spirit is like that. Bridal partnership moving as one. What links crisis then with process? The pattern of process that we see as we look in the Bible and the circumstances in our own lives is that God will allow a crisis to lead us into the process of development and maturity. Therefore we go from crisis to process. And he allows in his wisdom what he could easily prevent by his power. If you're in a crisis situation at the moment, God is allowing it. Do your best to use it, because it will serve to develop you. Take that thing and use it as a stepping stone. Press into God. Get all you can out of it. He's in control. There is nothing to lose and everything to gain. When you came into the world, you came in crisis. You were thrust into bright lights, noise and people, naked. Someone turned you upside down and slapped you on the rear. Welcome. Life's pain began. Crisis. Then growing up, first school, have to leave mum, another crisis. If you look at your own process of growth, you'll see that every time you made a growth spurt, it started with being thrust out of your comfort zone. You went from crisis into the process of development. Joseph familiar Old Testament character, has a great prophecy hanging over his life. Goes about telling his brothers about it. Mr. Big, you're going to bow down to me and mum and dad are too. Silly boy. They become jealous of him and his place in his father's affections. So when father says go and see how they're doing, he struts off to see his brothers wearing his fancy coat and finds them in the desert, where else, looking after the sheep. Little place called Dothan, backside of the desert, nobody about. You know the rest. They hatch a plot to get rid of him and he finds himself looking up at the sky from down an empty water hole. But this isn't the end of the story. 
Reuben, being the kind-hearted soul he is, says, here comes a caravan, let's sell him to these people. He doesn't want the boy killed. From being Dad's favourite and heir to the family fortune, Joseph finds himself sold into slavery. He has a crisis. Normal Tuesday afternoon, Mo's looking after the sheep. It's hot. He's dozing. Had his lunch. Sheep are doing what sheep do. And suddenly he sees a bush burning. Not an uncommon sight in the desert, but this one's different and causes him to go over and have a closer look. The bush is burning, but it isn't being consumed. He probably reflects on this later in life. If he hadn't walked over there at that moment, he wouldn't have ended up face to face with the most occultic and despotic ruler the earth had ever seen. But this simple action of moving over to look at the bush changes his life forever. Because he comes face to face with the living God and he's commissioned to bring the children of Israel out of the captivity of Egypt. Old man sticking a stutter, as Graham Cook would say, now enlisted to lead a million people out of slavery in Egypt. The period prophesied to Abraham in Genesis 15:13 is up and it's time for the people to come out of their 400 years of bondage. God sovereignly chooses Moses. Sheep have been his training ground. Little does he realize the likeness people have to sheep. His training will stand him in good stead in the gruelling years that lie before him. Normal Tuesday turns into the adventure which takes up the rest of his life. He's just had a crisis. David, young man, another one with a great prophecy over his head, keeping sheep again. Normal Thursday has a good idea. I'll go and see how the troops are doing and as an excuse for the trip I'll take some bread and cheese down to the boys, his brothers. He's not their favourite it seems, in fact they're quite scathing about him. Still, he has this curiosity to have a look to see how Israel's doing against the Philistines. As a result, he ends up taking on Goliath, and he has enough stones for the brothers as well if he gets the chance. Not the way he thought his day would go. Subsequently, he spends the next 40-odd years being chased around the desert by a madman by the name of Saul, who's determined to kill him. Crisis. These men were thrust by a crisis into God's process of development for their lives. That process is the development of maturity. God will not spare us this preparation. He's looking for sons, fully mature sons, in the likeness of Jesus. So whatever you're currently going through, it's all for the good, because God is treating you as a son, and if a son, then an heir. He's looking to bring you from Nepios to Huios, from a babe into a fully mature son. God says, I know the plans I have for you. He also knows how he's going to bring us into those plans, into that destiny, into that purpose. So we need to learn to sit still under the hand of God while he prepares us for our destiny. I think sometimes too often Christians are blaming on the devil what is simply God's training of them. You cannot crucify the devil or cast out the flesh. We have to stand still and allow God to do what he wants with us. He's the potter, we're the clay. His purpose is not to feather bed us until we get to heaven. He has a higher purpose for us. God is a long-term planner. He plans for eternity, not just for the now. Everything we experience is to prepare us for our eternal destiny with him. Everything he allows in our lives is allowed by his wisdom. 
He allows in his wisdom what he could easily prevent by his power. Everything in your life is useful. Everything. God allows it all. It's necessary for strength, relationship, identity, for destiny. Every circumstance is designed to cause you to turn to him, not away from him. Every circumstance used to the full can bring you into more of your destiny, which is to become like Christ. Romans 8.29 For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Jesus is your brother, God is your father, and the first thing he will establish in you is relational. You are his child, his son or daughter, if you prefer it, ladies. Before he will put you into service of any kind, he establishes you in the relationship, and every circuit or cycle you go round with him will take you deeper and deeper into that issue of relationship, of whose you are, the familial relationship. He is your father, Jesus is your brother. When he's established that, he will train you in servanthood. When you've proved yourself in that area, you'll go into friendship and ultimately you will become his love slave. Every time you've completed the cycle, you'll go round again at a deeper, higher, wider, broader level. The whole thing starts all over again. Training is continuous and circular. On each level you'll meet various things. A bigger devil which you have to beat before you go on to the next level. You have to beat the devil on the level that you're on. God will make you as big as what is coming at you before you're finished on that level. He says, I'm going to make you as big as that. That's what it's there for, to enlarge you. Brilliant a permanent state of change and growth. Grace growers, they'll be there too, to train you to respond in the opposite spirit and release the fruit of the spirit in your life. A bigger problem to cause your faith to be stretched, tighter finances may be, to prove to you that he is your provider, your source. Whatever you're needing, God will be graciously providing in the way of tests and trials. So God works in cycles, he doesn't work in straight lines. He measures growth, not time. So it doesn't matter if you've been born again 50 years. If you haven't grown, you're still a babe as far as he's concerned and on the milk. He's still waiting for your cooperation to move you on. You just might find that circumstances become a little more difficult in order to get your attention, that's all. And he uses everything. It's all designed to press you into him, into an ever-deepening intimate relationship with him. He establishes you in sonship, moving to servanthood, stewardship, friendship and finally slavery. He works in cycles. His ways are not our ways. He's agricultural. He measures growth, not time. When you're bearing good fruit, along he comes with the pruning shears and lops off a few branches that you might bear more fruit much fruit. No good fighting it. Our best chance is to get into step, embrace it and make it as painless as possible if you think the same way as I do. It's called agreement with God, alignment with God. 
We looked at what non-alignment looks like when we looked at the first part of the spiritual warfare teaching, but it's worth looking at it again. Signs of non-alignment. Physically you'll feel tense, there will be stress in and around your life versus the rest and peace of God. Emotionally you'll feel upset, fear, worry and doubt are your companions. Mentally you'll feel resistance as if you're fighting something. Spiritually non-alignment makes you feel you're under attack and you'll mistake this for spiritual warfare. Other signs, loss of appetite or the reverse, overeating for comfort. Loss of sleep, tension, stress, headaches, even flu-like symptoms. Tired, listless, nervous, maybe just wanting to hide, wanting to get away from everything, doing something physical rather than spiritual, can't be bothered to meet with God or pray. So you clean the house or the car or you go to the gym, you meet your friends, chat endlessly about nothing with them or watch TV at 10 o'clock in the morning. Emotionally, when you're non-aligned, you can be reactive against people and situations. You see the worst, you speak without thinking. You're anxious, full of worry, fear, anger, rejection. You're irritable, take everything as an offence, feel rejected at the slightest thing. You're sad, moody, you have a roller coaster of emotions and sometimes you're just cynical, mistrustful. Mentally, you question everything and become super analytical. You speculate, you pick holes in things, or you replay events negatively, and guess what? Every time you replay them, it gets more and more negative, and the enemy adds a bit more. You're suspicious about people and their motives, and so on. You take snapshots which aren't true, and come to conclusions which only reinforce your opinion. You're unable to be objective, everything is subjective, and based on your feelings.